And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hope you guys had a fantastic weekend. Great show today. I was joined by my good friend, Ian Hayworth. It's always a great time talking to Ian. Uh, we actually had to record this one in advance uh, last week because I was on vacation. As, as you're listening to this, I'm probably on my way home from vacation, but it's always a great time talking to Ian. I think you guys will really enjoy our chat. Uh, Before I get to Ian, I want to say hi to our friends over at Bulk Munitions. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm sure you've noticed uh, the ammo shelves at your local gun shop are consistently empty. It's been a problem for, I don't know, three, four, five years now at least. My buddies over at Bulk Munitions has you covered, whether you're looking for 223 or 5.56, 9mm, whatever you're looking for, uh, they have you covered. Or if you don't have a 9 or an AR, I mean, they have literally anything you need they have in stock, whether it's 12 gauge, 22, 357, 45, 40, whatever you need, they have it. Uh, it's, they don't have it for sale on their website unless it is in stock, ready to ship fast. All orders ship within two business days, no more waiting around. Um, And guys, I I always love working with companies that share our values here at the No Gimmicks Podcast, and Bulk Munitions absolutely do. Um, They donate 10% of their profits to Christian-based and Second Amendment uh, friendly organizations. They call it their Ammo Tithe, which is fantastic. Um, they, they wanted their work uh, to serve a higher purpose. Uh, there, there's all there's several um, decent bulk ammo distributors on the internet right now, but trust me, bulk munitions, they, they share our values. They are really one of us. And guys, if that isn't great enough, Bulk Munitions is offering this audience um, a limited time offer, the first 25 of you guys, to use the promo code TNGP21. Once again, this TNGP21 will receive a free Blackhawk magazine case, either a soft-sided case for pistol mags or a hard-sided case for AR-15 mags, uh, free of charge with any order over $100 using the promo code tngp TNGP21. Uh, you can see that special offer right now at bulkmunitions.com slash TNGP. That is bulkmunitions.com slash TNGP. Use the promo code TNGP21 to receive that free Blackhawk magazine case on the house. And guys, if you haven't already, please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe. And if you like the show and want to get involved, you can support us monthly on Patreon, patreon.com slash the No Gimmicks Podcast. All right, without further ado, the great Ian Hayworth. All right, guys, we're here with my brother, Ian Hayworth. Ian, how are you doing, man? I'm doing well. I'm I'm now officially in the state of Tennessee, and I, I can't believe how good it feels to be out of California. It, it's like seeing the light in every every way. It's amazing. It's a new day, my friend. Just a free state. feels good. <laughs> so I just want to let the audience know uh, before I forget. Uh, I was going to wait till later, but I, I'm sure I'll forget. Um, Ian and I are recording this on Tuesday the 6th. Uh, the evening of Tuesday, the 6th. I'm going on vacation, me and my wife are, um, after the podcast uh, tomorrow on Wednesday, the 7th. And so I need to, and we're getting back, I believe, Tuesday night next week. So I'm pre-recording Monday's episode 
with Ian right now. So if we're not talking about stuff that's super duper relevant, that's why. But just real quick, since it's kind of an informal, not news of the day kind of episode, um, you said you just moved to, to Tennessee. You moved to Nashville with the Daily Wire crew. Um, I mean, how are you liking real America so far? Obviously, you're from England originally. You you were in Southern California for a while. How are you liking the heartland? I like a lot. I mean, it reminds me a little bit of I spent a lot of time with uh, friends and family in like Central California, so it feels a little bit more like that. But it's just so relaxed. Like COVID just isn't really a thing, which is almost too extreme uh, for me at this point. But it's so different. It's so much more just relaxed. People are friendly. I'm not being taxed 12% on literally everything that <laughs> I have anything to do with. It feels it just feels so good just to be out of California. California is just a garbage heap, absolute garbage heap, and it's only going to get worse. And the more people who leave, it's just going to end up with more and more problems. That they try and tax their way out of their own problems. I mean, it helps that Biden is using every single opportunity to give states like New York and California billions of dollars as a reward for failing. But eventually that money's going to run out. Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. I, uh, Oh, yeah. I mean, that's. I'm sure we'll get into that, <laughs> that <laughs> in a little bit. I mean, like, uh, I, just one more question. Just, you know, you've been on this podcast, you know, a dozen, probably more than a dozen times at this point. And you, you and I have known each other for a while. I just, I, I was wondering, you know, you know, if you could take a time machine back and talk to yourself 10 years ago, as a young man, I mean, you know, just a, a British Jew somewhere in England. Um, did you ever imagine yourself working in full-time American conservative political commentary I know, in, so in, in, in Nashville, Tennessee, of all <laughs> it's places? It's so crazy. I mean, I, so I, how, how did that—just the brief overview, how did you end up here? It's a very strange story. It's definitely not the, the normal route to conservative commentary. I kind of did the learn-to-code thing in reverse. So right. I was a uh, software engineer uh, for— I guess seven, eight years before starting full-time for the Daily Wire and started kind of writing my spare time in 2018 when all the Kavanaugh nonsense was going on. I mean, I'm sure you remember that. Oh, yeah. Still so fresh in our memory of just being treated like absolute scum if you didn't think that you should believe every single woman because she's a woman. And so yeah. that, was, that was a fun time. So I started writing sort of just what I thought, that maybe that was ridiculous, that just because someone has a vagina. And also that was before, let's not forget, that was before men could be women and women could be men. Like women still existed in 2018. So that was, that was a good time in a way, but a bad time because we had to believe all Democrat women. Right. And so just started writing about how I thought that was ridiculous and started kind of digging more and more into things. Things snowballed. And then a couple of years later, I was writing for The Daily Wire more regularly. And then, yeah, they offered me full time. So I, I moved out here in start of March, which is crazy looking back. That's relatively quick. Like I know a lot of people spend years slowly building and to have made that step pretty quickly is I, I'm very grateful for the opportunity. It's a lot of fun. And it's a great way for me to express what I think about America and how wonderful America is. And I can try and share that with other people and try and push back against the ridiculous notion that America is anything other than pretty much the best thing ever. The thing is, you're make you've made already, and are continuing to make significant sacrifices. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure um, you you could probably have made a lot more money outside of politics. You know, like you didn't have to permanently eliminate certain opportunities for yourself, right? Like guys like you and I, like I'm in the music industry too. Like, and and obviously you're coming from the tech world. I mean, like both of us, I think have have 
eliminated certain professional opportunities for ourselves in the future. You know, that's a conscious, at least for me, I, I don't want to speak for you, that, that's a conscious decision that I made. I'm saying, hey, if I do this, if I start this podcast and, and really go all in on this, I am eliminating some opportunities for myself in the future. Like, how, how heavy did that weigh on you? I wouldn't say as heavily as I think it weighs on you. I think the entertainment industry is probably the worst for this in terms of blackballing people for being conservatives. I think the world of tech is like an interesting one that if you're good enough, they don't really care. Like the people you work with day by day will care. Like there were some people who tried to get me fired for my Twitter feed, things like that. You know, there's always going to be assholes in every job. Right. But in in terms of the structure, at least at, at the company I was at, there's some companies that are much worse. But as long as you were performing, I think it was okay. So I was fairly fortunate in, in my experience of it. But the reason I made the transition was in terms of things I care about, I, I didn't really care about the job I was doing. Coding was something that I could do and I was able to do and fortunate enough to be able to do. But it wasn't interesting. It wasn't really challenging. And I didn't feel like it was doing any good. Whereas talking about the kinds of things I talk about and trying to change people's minds on really the pivotal discussions of our day of just gun rights, abortion rights, things like that are, are so crucial and so important. I think that my, my goal is to at least make so much more of a difference doing this than I could ever in, in tech. And then the money aspect of that is really secondary if you truly care about the issues you're pushing. Obviously, I don't want to do this and starve to death as, as a result, but I think you can make yourself very unhappy if you focus entirely on money and then look back on your life and never really achieving anything that you are truly, truly proud of. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, I know a lot of people, um, I'm, I'm sure you probably do too in, in your former field, but I know a lot of people, um, you know, who, who was were forced with that decision, like, hey, do I, I, I come out and actually stand by my beliefs or not, you know, or, mm-hmm. or just live and let live. And uh, most people don't actually make that <laughs> that choice. They, they, they take the path of least resistance, you know what I mean? Uh, whether it's going to benefit them professionally or not. So, I think it is to be commended, man. Like, I, it is important, especially uh, with what we're seeing now, um, yeah, for people to stand up for their beliefs. So I'm glad you made that choice, man. And you know, for me, it was like a, I, I remember, like, b- right before we were about to record our first episode back in the day, like you know, four or five years ago. <laughs> like, okay, like, if I do, if I, if I hit send on this, you know, like, that's it. Like, I, I really can't go back. Like, people will mm-hmm. find this. Like, it will be a thing that's, forever attached to me so like it was a conscious decision i made and i think uh you know of course everybody i'm sure i'm not just speaking for myself here everybody on the right who who uh decides to put out content certainly probably has that moment even if it's a fleeting moment that they're like okay here we go let's go hit send you know yeah that's that definite line there's also a very intentional decision i made is to write under my real name i think there's a lot of people not obviously in the podcast world because you can't exactly be anonymous there but in terms of written work that's where i started is writing and you can get away with having a you know another name pseudonym and and being fairly anonymous um and that was something a lot of people i knew who worked in tech or other industries did and i think it's i think it's fine everyone has to make their own decision for example if some people have children or they're they're more financially uh, reliant on their situation for example you can't be as free and free and easy with your choices right but I think for me, I was fortunate to be young enough and with reasonably fewer uh, responsibilities and say people who had a family, things like that, that I felt like it was worth doing. And I, I didn't want to look back and 
feel like I ever hit. Like I want to be proud of what I think. And if I'm, if I believe what I think, then I think that's worth sharing. And I don't think that's ever worth sharing beneath a veil or behind someone else. Like if I, if I want to say something, I want to say it as myself and then the cards will fall as they fall. And that's really not out of my hands. As long as I believe what I'm saying, I think that's really what matters. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, obviously we'll never, we'd never call somebody out by name, but we, we both know people that write under pseudonyms and even broadcast under pseudonyms. And then there's other people just, this is a total side note and I have no information about this. There's also people that like, <laughs> have you ever noticed like in commentary on both sides of the aisle where you're like, there's no way that's a, like Eric is Eric Erickson's <laughs> real name, Eric Erickson. I don't know. It's a great name, though, right? I think he was born for it if, it, if it's not his real name. Like, I hope that's his real name, but I'm like, really? I mean, maybe. I, I, it's possible, but, I mean, man, his parent. I'd have to have a conversation with that guy's parents. <laughs> so, look, I, like, I don't want to get into too much, like, super time-sensitive stuff, because this isn't airing for, for several days, but we have to talk about some of this Ron DeSantis stuff, man. <laughs> like, um. The, the left, it's just so fascinating to me how much the Democrats fear this man. Like, you can tell in the way they, they try to propagandize against him. And obviously the left, the, the corporate press, all they do is propagandize. I mean, you can't you can't trust them as far as you can throw them. And trust me, you know, both Ian and I are in pretty good shape, but both of us combined can't throw Brian Stelter very far. Um, <laughs> no offense to anybody involved, um, including us, for being weak. But, um, like, I, I don't think the left has feared a man more than DeSantis since Reagan. Like they didn't, I don't think they feared Trump. Like they feared Trump for a while, like when he would get like a Supreme court justice appointed and stuff like that. But like they just, uh, I don't know. They, I think they like, I don't know, discredited him, discredited him to a certain extent. Um, they, they fear, like they look at Ron DeSantis and they are just peeing their pants, man. Like uh, 60 minutes of a hit piece on him. It was complete nonsense it was complete lies they edited everything you said now i'll tweet out the side-by-side video if i haven't already um a- after this is posted of of what desantis actually said in the 60 minutes interview versus what <laughs> 60 minutes aired it's it's hilarious stuff truly disgusting stuff but like what do you make of the fact before we dive into it just that the press has just zeroed in i mean they're just laser-like focus on ron desantis right now well, I think it's quite clear that Ron DeSantis is the front runner for 2024. I think yes. there's very few people on either side who would really disagree. Yes. The the big difference you mentioned, fearing Trump. The left feared Trump retrospectively and retroactively. Yes. Is they, they were the one who put him there in a lot of ways. Like they gave him hours upon hours of free coverage they didn't give to any other conservative. They kind of thought he was a joke. And then when he won, they were like, oh, that's that's unfortunate. With DeSantis, they truly fear him preemptively because he is quite clearly the combination of everything that's good about Trump and like none of his weaknesses. Yes. That's what makes DeSantis so dangerous is that he can fight and he does fight with the media. He doesn't put up with this nonsense. But he – I don't even know if DeSantis has a Twitter account. And so it's – He probably does, but – I mean, I don't, I don't he, know. But It's certainly not active in the way that we would be aware of. Right, I'm sure right. he his – uh, administration has one, but he's certainly not tweeting at 2 a.m. about his chicken nugget fantasies and things like that. No. And so he's the ultimate nightmare for them because they know how powerful Trump was in a lot of ways. And for some, in a lot of ways, it was just lucky for them that Trump was the kind of impatient, immature person that he was, that he just didn't know when to pull his punches and when to really go after someone. He was just always in attack mode. 
And it seems like DeSantis seems like, you know, a, a, a nice guy. He's personable in the way Trump was. He's got a sense of humor in the way Trump ha uh, has, but he knows when to go after someone. And see, I think the CBS hit job on him was a great example of he he did it in a very understated way and he lets the media malfeasance speak for itself. He doesn't make it about him. He makes it about the media. And that's the kind of message people can get around. And so the left are terrified because can you imagine him versus Kamala Harris? It's going to be an absolute bloodbath. Oh, yeah. I mean, it would that would be illegal in some states, I think. Not Florida, because <laughs> Florida is still a free state. But <clears throat> the funny thing is, like, the press, I, I really do believe they created Ron DeSantis in a lot of ways. Not not just that they're they're actually giving him, you know, obviously free media time um, by doing all these ridiculous hit pieces on him. But because of their behavior during the Trump era, it taught guys like Ron DeSantis. And I mean, hopefully there's more guys like Ron DeSantis. Basically, it's just him at this point. But like they taught the, the press taught Ron DeSantis how to deal with them. Right. Because like they would say ridiculous Russian collusion. He's a Trump is a puppet of Vladimir Putin and, and all this ridiculous nonsense for basically five years, a, a year before he was elected, and then four years in office. And and Trump in then Trump would fire back and call him the enemy of the people and fake news and all this stuff. And then guys like Ron DeSantis are, are they're just sitting back there taking notes, man. They're like, all right, well, I guess the American people don't really care if we, if I beat the crap out of the press when they're wrong, you know? So he's just taking, he's just waiting. He's just sitting there, sitting there and the, waiting in the wings, you know, <laughs> just buying his time waiting. And then when they come after him, he's just ready to go. I mean, dude, it's like, just a boxer against somebody that didn't train for the fight mm -hmm. and the press or, or the poor, poor son of a gun that didn't train for the fight. Like it's, I mean, he's executing these people on live television. Anytime they try to trap him, and yeah, CBS, they try to selectively edit everything he said. I, I have to think that the American people aren't going to buy that. You saw the, uh, uh, the, the democratic mayor of what is it? Uh, Palm beach, I think, um, that came out and said that the entire, <laughs> 60 Minutes Pete's was a hit job and that DeSantis has been great and that it opened <laughs> up, you know, vaccine, uh, you know, pl places, it helped uh, places distribute uh, vaccines in his county and his city and all this nonsense. And so it's like, yeah, man, I, I think the press, I, I think it's going to be one of those situations where they created their own villain and then the villain just kicks their ass. You know, I think it's their creation and just God bless them for it. Well, they also just went too far. Time after time, they've gone too far. Yes. I, I think every time they go too far, it's like they, they're deep in the hole and they keep doubling down. I think the greatest example is COVID-19, which is another reason why I think DeSantis is a front runner for 2024, because Florida should have been one giant graveyard if he followed any of the same policies that the Democrats did. And yet Florida is the oldest state in the country, and they are by the actual important metrics, which is per 100,000 population by every metric, they're beating states like Texas, and often they're beating states like California. Their vaccine program has been very, very successful. And he's standing at the forefront of the, really, I know we were talking about this a little earlier, one of the biggest debates, if not the biggest debate of our generation, which is the vaccine passport issue. And he is, I believe he was the first governor to come out and just outright ban it. And that makes a very, very strong statement when a lot of people on either side of the aisle are going to agree that vaccine passports are a giant step too far. And when it's when you are making that your key message years ahead of the election, I think that's something that's going to rally a lot of people around him. Yeah, absolutely. I, let, you know, we might as well talk about the, the vaccine passport issue. Um, 
Well, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Well, I'll, I'll just I'll piggyback on what you just said. Ron DeSantis was the first governor um, to issue an executive order, and uh, apparently the legislature, I believe, uh, this week will be um, passing legislation to to that effect as well. So it'll supersede his uh, his executive order, but you know, banning vaccine passports from the state of Florida. I love this, man. I, I love it. I think it's um, one of the largest issues we've ever seen, at least in my lifetime. I'm 32 years old. Um, there's been, you know, the Patriot Act and a couple others, but I think the the prospect of vaccine passports is uh, one of the most evil things um, proposed in American politics, um, at least since the Patriot Act, maybe since Japanese internment. Um you know, I, I'm, I'm sure people will blow up my Twitter and, and giving me, you know, giving me other examples. But uh, I, I think it's that evil. I think we need to be all hands on deck here. Um, I, I know a lot of uh, a lot of people, including dear friends of mine, people I, I, I love and respect and, and agree with on a lot of issues, you know, uh, didn't like this and said, um, you know, well, if, if private companies want to institute vaccine passports, you know, th- that's their right to do so. And I don't know. I mean, like that that's an argument I've made a million times. <laughs> Obviously, I am a libertarian. That that's an argument I've made I've made a million times, but I just um I think with this issue, you know, tyranny can come from people outside of the state and uh if if corporations want to institute some like government papers, <laughs> you know, there's there's still government papers, man. It's still government tyranny even if it's uh, corporations working hand in hand with government itself. So, um it, it, to to me personally as a libertarian, um obviously it doesn't have to be agents of the state holding you at gunpoint. It can also be agents of the state coercing private companies to have their security guards hold you at gunpoint. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I'm very happy with Ron DeSantis issuing this executive order. And hopefully the legislature just passes it and he signs it into law and the the EO doesn't matter. Yeah, that would, I mean, that's the ultimate goal, isn't it? Just to have a legislative agreement. This is good policy. The the issue. So you raised, I think, the really important point, which is the when is it when is it OK for a private corporation to do something and when should people like you and I step up who, as you said, have used those arguments many times. It's the fact that now the corporations are trying to shill for the Democrats and act as their heavies. That's that's effectively their role now. The left are achieving a lot of cultural and political wins through corporations by leveraging a minority of very, very loud, very woke people to pressure them into doing various things. That is when you need to stand up. It's not just about, oh, it's a private company. They can do what they want. When the central issue here is just really central to America, which is what is freedom. And if you have a piece of paper that is forcing you to make a medical choice, which a medical choice, which I might, may have got before this whole vaccine passport thing, but a medical choice that some people for valid reasons do not want to take. And you are forcing them to make the decision of, do you want to exist in society do you want to be able to go to any any business there is, any place that is not your land up to a point, unless you have this piece of paper? That is completely antithetical to everything that America is about. You mentioned the Patriot Act. In a lot of ways, it's worse than the Patriot Act because you are telling people that you cannot even interact with other human beings, which is your fundamental right as a human is to interact with society. You are not able to interact yeah. unless you take this treatment, which five seconds ago, Kamala Harris was cackling on TV saying that she wouldn't trust Donald Trump because he made the vaccine. She wouldn't trust the vaccine. 
And Nancy Pelosi was saying the same thing. Joe Biden was saying the same thing. It's not really about the vaccine. It's about just requiring anyone to do something against their will to exist in society. That's the line that's being crossed here. And I think I'm fully with you that we need to draw the line here and refuse to cross it because there's really no way back after that. You're, you're, you're just ceding the ground to the government that in any scenario, regardless of how big or small, they can tell you what you can and can't do. And if that is the case, and America isn't America anymore. I mean, you're absolutely correct. Um, but like, just a side note, it's not what private company would institute something like this, would alienate a large percentage of their clientele for absolutely no reason. I mean, we're coming up on herd immunity, dude. <laughs> like, we're, yeah. we're coming up on the point in the next, you know, I don't know if it's going to be May or June or July or whatever, where vaccinations aren't even important anymore. I mean, it's, we've hit herd immunity and, and the virus is going to just die off naturally at some point, certainly by late summer at the very latest from everything I've read. I'm trying to read as much as I can. Yeah. So I think another issue when we're, when we're talking about things like herd immunity, it just brings up the problem that the Democrats don't really care about scientific reality. Because whenever we talked about these, these various statuses in the fight against COVID, they don't really care. Like the fact that we're actually succeeding is bad for them because COVID has given them the golden ticket to do everything they've ever wanted to do ever, which is spend an ungodly amount of money with really no questions asked. And so I imagine that a big part of the COVID passport thing is to make sure that COVID remains a figure in our lives in some form. And then every single new variant that comes out, every t single minor spike that's going to happen every winter, because it happens with all similar viruses now, will just be an excuse to clamp down a little bit more power. And when that's why they say about the new normal, because it was never about going back to normal. It was about using this to move the goalposts and shape the world that they want. And I think unless we're very careful, we're just going to accept all that, forget what it was like before, and then it'll all be a distant memory, the kind of freedoms we took for granted only a few months ago. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. And it's, it's astonishing just from an ec economic standpoint, 25% of the debt ever accrued in the history of America. It's been around for, what, 200 and some odd years. Um, was was accrued in the last 12 months. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. It, it, it's, it's unbelievable. When I see that number, I, I saw the same tweet. I think you did. It's just like, I don't believe it. And then you look at it, and it's just yeah, the kind of numbers we have never seen. And there are a lot of people in government who don't believe debt is real. I think people need to understand just how absurd this is. There are people running the purse of the country who don't think debt is a problem. They think we can just run it up forever because debt isn't real, money isn't really real. It's like, well, no, this is not how it works. This is how things like the Great Depression work. Yeah. I mean, it, and it's it has progressed past Keynesianism, right? Like the Keynesians even admit that debt is a problem eventually, <laughs> right? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, the only people that just ignore debts and deficits entirely and say that they're no big deal and you can print whatever you want are, are, are communists. You know, it's, well, it's, it's, it's amazing. Like even like Obama was, was a proud Keynesian. Um, and he would even talk occasionally about the debts and deficits and, oh yeah, we're going to eventually have to pay this down. I mean, these people have moved past Keynesianism. A big part of this is also that people don't care about the next generation. I think there's a lot of people, I mean, Joe Biden is what, 125 years old or something yeah. absurd. I mean, it's unfortunate to say he is not going to be around to see the effects of all of this. And most of us won't be. Realistically, this is going to take decades to really come to a head. 
it'll be our children and our children's children who have to bail us out of all of these decades of terrible financial decisions. We need to be taking the perspective that we actually care about the future generations. It's, it's so funny. People go on and on about, will somebody please think of the children when they're talking about climate change while you're setting fire to the national bank at the same time? It, it's absolutely ridiculous. People like Joe Biden don't care. A big part of this is also that Republicans don't care. Donald Trump spent four years spending money like there was no tomorrow. And a lot of Republicans who were clutching their pearls and crying with every dollar spent when Obama was, was president just didn't care anymore. I think it needs to return to this really uh, pivotal, central element of uh, Republican Party and conservatism in general, that we care about money and we care about not spending our children's money, which is exactly what we're doing. But as long as this carries on, I I was listening to a podcast earlier today, and I think it's going to be like 200% of GDP is going to be our debt in 10 years time or something. I'm paraphrasing the numbers, but it's just it's like clown town, these kind of numbers. Yeah, it's, it's, it's something like every child born uh, this year just is born with something like what, like eighty-five or ninety thousand dollars of debt. Just forgive it. I'm sure it'll be fine. Just forgive it. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. And also, just you know, obviously, selfish. Uh, selfishly speaking, I will stand up for libertarianism. I mean, there are some people like yours truly who've been, mm-hmm. who've been talking about this the whole time, and there are a handful of politicians. You know, Mike Lee, Rand Paul, Thomas Massey, some guys who've been consistent on this, but you know, you're absolutely right that by and large, the GOP, you know, they take a nap, <laughs> you know, <down> <laughs> yep. a, at least in the last couple of Republican uh, presidencies, George W. Bush and Donald Trump, they, they, you know, they take a, they, they take a nap um, from their fiscal conservatism. They, they pretend it doesn't exist when they're guys in the white house. And I'm not really sure why, not sure why they would lie. Um, to their constituents on the campaign trail. seems like an immoral thing to do, but hopefully, I don't know, maybe, maybe the, the, the crisis is so grave that they will uh, actually stay engaged. And obviously since Biden took office like clockwork, the Republicans are waking up and speaking out against the spending and stuff like that. And I mean, it just side note in their defense, this, I mean, what Biden is talking about spending, um, you know, even most Democrats should should oppose. I mean, it's like it's it's, uh, you know, it'd be hilarious if it wasn't so evil. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's talking about right now during a pandemic and and after all these people just died and everything else, he's talking about spending two two trillion dollars on on bridges in California and stuff like that. It, it's absolutely insane. But, um, yeah, I mean, we, we need a, an actually fiscally conservative GOP if, if we're going to have a, a future. I mean, I, I don't really know. Uh, you, you just cannot keep this up for much longer obviously i think a very big part of this which is something i remember you saying i think the last time we spoke maybe the time before is that you you have you used to have complete faith in americans as a whole and that they they are you know sensible people they're independent people and that the way people in general reacted to covid kind of shook your faith there yes yes i think i think exactly the same thing is applicable financially i think there are a lot of people who just don't care. I really thought you were going to say something optimistic, and I'm very disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> I like, you know me why at this point. Why, why would yeah. that ever happen? <laughs> I honestly think a lot of people don't care, and I, it's all very well hoping for a GOP that cares, yeah. but the GOP and all politicians, their main motivation is staying in power, and you stay in power by telling people what they want to hear, and we need to grow up as a society and get used to hearing things that we don't want to hear and how we fix them. I mean, I, I this is very cliche to say, but... Looking back at some of the challenges humanity has faced just in modern history, 
and how our society is now, how weak we are. Something like World War II, if that was to happen today, we would just capitulate. We'd be a pathetic mess of just crying babies. Neville, and Chamber- we need to- Neville Chamberlain. Exactly. We're all yeah. we're just all Neville Chamberlain now, at, yeah. at the very least. Hundred percent. Until that changes, we can we, you and I can have all of these discussions we want, but politicians are going to keep telling people what they want to be told because people like to be told what they want to hear. Yeah. Yeah. What, what a downer. I'm sorry. No, I mean, <laughs> enjoy your vacation, Brady. <laughs> no, I mean, you're absolutely right. I, it, the thing is, like, obviously, I'm a libertarian. I, I'm. I'm not an anarchist because I vote and I pay taxes. You know, I, I would, I would. By the way, just side note, I would, cl- I would love to give up my right to vote if I could not pay the federal income tax. That'd be oh a yeah, that's trade. a deal everyone make every day in the every oh, day ab- of the year. Absolutely, <laughs> just have one guy vote and it doesn't matter because they don't have any money to spend. <laughs> It'd be great, but uh, like I, uh, I, I don't know. Like if you think about the 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 people that have saved the West throughout history. And and you may disagree with me. You'll agree on half of this at least. But I think like the two people in the 20th century that saved Western civilization were Calvin Coolidge and Winston Churchill. And uh, because Calvin Coolidge saved America, um, America was on the brink of becoming essentially a communist dictatorship under Woodrow Wilson. And uh, he changed everything. And then obviously we all know what what. Winston Churchill did, you know, saving saving England from from the Germans winning World War II, giving the West the balls and the the backbone and and the hope that that we all needed. I I, I wish as as a libertarian who who cares about individualism and and dislikes all politicians, I wish we didn't need leaders like that. But like, there is no Winston Churchill in Europe to inspire anyone in the UK or elsewhere in Europe. To stand up for liberty, and there's no Calvin Coolidge who can convince Americans that we need to spend less money and actually take care of business and give people more freedom. Like the, the, these people, I don't. I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. That that those are the two most seminal, at least in my opinion, the the seminal figures of the 20th century. I just don't see. I I, I don't see an appetite for that for either message at this point in the West. Not even just America, just the West generally. But specifically, America, I just don't see one the the characters necessary to deliver that message, and and be I don't I don't know if there's an appetite for it because I mean just if you looking at like you just mentioned you know Americans' reaction to to Democratic governors telling them to stay in their houses they're like yes sir may I have another I mean sure please oppress me more I mean it's like my goodness I mean if if another Churchill or Coolidge comes along like. What are they going to do? They'll probably get arrested. The, the, the FBI will frame them for being a, I, I don't know, like a foreign asset or something. They'll they'll go to Gitmo. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> like is there even an appetite for such a message in the West or in America more specifically? No, I don't think there is. I think that's also the important thing. People make Winston Churchill analogies all the time. I think like Piers Morgan compared himself to Winston Churchill whoa, the other day, whoa, 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 which, which is, <laughs> is possibly the most crazy thing I've ever heard in my life. But let's stick a pin in that for a second. Wait, but, wait, wait, um... wait. Hold on real quick. <laughs> I didn't see this. Well, so Piers Morgan, the, the guy, the, the British talk show guy compared himself to Winston Churchill? Not directly. He was smoking Winston Churchill's cigar while while discussing his, his latest issues. And so it's like one of these subtle things that if if you think you are qualified mm-hmm. to smoke Winston Churchill's cigar, that's like possibly the biggest ego I've ever, ever encountered. 
<laughs> yeah, it's an interesting guy. But like moving back to the, the appetite issue, there is no appetite for it. Like yeah. Winston Churchill only did what he did because he had the vast majority of the citizens in the UK who were willing to live under nightly bombing raids, basically starving to death in an island that was cut off from the rest of the world when they were one of the few nations fighting at the time because there was a united message like, this is right, this is wrong, this is what we're going to do. That I don't think exists anymore. I would like to think it would, but it just doesn't. I, I think in the UK it doesn't. I think in the US it doesn't. So even if we had this hero, this Churchill-esque hero come back, he'd probably just be ignored. He'd be cancelled within a day because he would say something that would offend someone. People are so afraid of hearing the truth that they would rather just bury their head in the sand and re ignore reality resulting in their ultimate doom. Winston Churchill's speech, the famous speech, um, before the London bombings and all that, um, right before, it was like the, the week before France fell. Like, people know, like, the clips that they see on the internet, or not, but there was no internet back then, but, the, you know, the clips that, that circulate and stuff from that, the famous Churchill speech about that all I have to offer is blood and bone and sweat and all that. Like, his message was, we are all willing to die right now we are all willing to die because Hitler is that evil. And if he's going to kill us, he's going to kill us, but we're never going to surrender. And if we die, then the colonies, the Br the British Empire, the colonies will rise up and come back and retake and avenge our deaths in the future. And that will be the hope of England. Okay, like that was his, his message was, who cares if we die? <laughs> but we are never going to surrender no matter what to the death but freedom will live on after we're dead. Okay, that was his message. And England got behind him. And the Parliament got behind him. The the British people got behind him. The message of you're probably going to die. <laughs> okay. That was the that was his message. And that's one of the most, you know, famous speeches in, in political history. You know what I mean? And like there's just I don't I don't think there's people in the in the West, in Western civilization, capable of receiving that message. Like, it's just, it's just a, I know it's a different era and a different enemy. Obviously, we're not facing anything close to Adolf Hitler. I understand that. Please don't misquote me here, Internet. But, like, I think my point still stands. It's like, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I would, if, you know, knowledge of history notwithstanding, like, I don't, like, who among us would be receptive to that message right now? Maybe it's just a generational issue. Like, our generation, people our age, like, we're just not, we don't have the stomach for the truth. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. Like it, It's interesting. I think it's such a deep thing, because even looking back at World War II, the United States was very isolated from World War II in a lot of ways. Like, yeah. yes, there was Pearl Harbor, but for a, a lot of the war, you didn't even know a war was going on unless you were actually fighting in it and you were overseas. I think the UK was a little different because you were, as I said, being bombed every night. and It was really only a couple of miles away it was happening. But I think it's a generational thing that people just aren't willing to sacrifice in any way for other people i think there's a lot of fear now that i think we're all very fearful of death in a way i don't think we used to be culturally i think people are so afraid probably because a lot of people have moved away from religion so this is all there is and so it would make sense that you wouldn't sacrifice or or take risks because if this is all that there is then everything is meaningless except for you in this moment no, it's just ma materialism right that's yeah. all that matters yeah so i think it's it's a too deep a problem to solve with who you vote for. I think it's something we all need to take on board and just how can I as a person 
make things a little better. And I think a big part of it is standing up for what's right and what's wrong. I think what concerned both of us is during COVID, the way people were so unquestioning. It's one it's one thing to hear the information and to reach the same conclusion. It's another just to blindly follow whatever the guidance is that day when it changes every few days and just still accept it without question. I think it's just the without question part that worries me. We can each reach the same conclusion, but just hearing Biden stand there and say, the science says this, and us all go, oh, okay, well, I guess the science says it. That's that's a very weak population right there. Right. Yeah, and I, I kind of had a debate on, um, not a debate, I don't debate, but a, a disagreement uh, privately with a, a buddy of mine, good friend of mine, um, about Ron DeSantis, you know, his executive order banning all uh, vaccine passports in the state of Florida. And uh, a buddy of mine who disagreed with me and said, you know, it's great that, you know, he said the government can't do it, but, you know, private businesses can do what they want. And it's, you know, tyrannical to tell a, a private corporation or, or, or company of any any size what, what they can and cannot do, what you know, what they can and cannot allow, you know, on, on their property and stuff like that. And obviously that that's like as a libertarian that's an argument made I've made a thousand times. But I I and maybe this is maybe I have a giant blind spot here. And let me know if I do. But um I mean I just think this issue, vaccine passports, I think that is it's it could be more important than the Patriot Act. It could be more evil, certainly in, impl- in implementation than the Patriot Act. Um, and I, I just like, I, you know, I, I, I try to put myself in a politician's, it, it makes me cringe, by the way, but <laughs> I, I try to put myself in these people's shoes. Like if I, if I was Ron DeSantis, I would absolutely 100, and I'm, I'm not an anarchist, like I said, because I vote and I pay taxes, but like I, I essentially think the state is evil. I think the governments, I mean, governments are, are the largest mass murderers in human history. Um, you know, I don't really respect politicians at all. I don't really respect, you know, laws generally. Um, but, I mean, if I were, you know, I'm the governor of Florida, yeah. I, I would absolutely issue that executive order because I think it's that important. I think it's uh, worthy of, you know, violating, uh, violating some kind of, you know, some business owner's rights i guess if it if if it protects individual liberty for all people of of that state you know permanently i I don't know i I think it's i'm so terrified of and maybe this is just my own fear but i'm so terrified of this policy proposal if you can call it that i i I prefer to call it pure unadulterated evil (laughs) because it, it really could turn into uh complete authoritarian tyranny you know, saying you need to carry government government papers in order to engage in commerce. I mean, that is as close to a fascist idea as we've ever seen in this country. And I'm not going to compare it to the Holocaust, but that is it's it's hard for me to not assume that Hitler would have been proud that Americans in in 2021 are considering forcing people to cover to carry government papers to engage in the United States economy. I mean that is that is a a fascist a truly fascist idea. And I think even if it violates some business owners rights like I don't know man, like I I th- I do think this is a life or death put up or shut up kind of moment for the American people. I I really do. And I hope I'm wrong. I hope this turns out to be no big deal and people laugh at me for saying this, please. I I I encourage that, please. Please, world, <laughs> prove me wrong. <laughs> but I this this is the most terrifying proposal from any government official 
I can remember, probably including the Patriot Act. Well, I think the analogy to, I think Hitler, I'm not, I'm not going to agree the analogy to Hitler. I'm actually going to broaden it. I'm going to say that it is correlates exactly with practically every single authoritarian regime. It doesn't matter whether it's a fascist regime, a communist regime. They all have the same view of freedom, which is whoever is running the government gets to say fundamentally what you can and cannot do. And that is not what America is. If right. people want that, then that's going to be a, a pretty monumental change. But if you are going to allow the government to say exactly what you can and cannot do, including what shop you can go to, what parts of the country you can travel to, what services you can use, it's it's one thing to say you have like the local bakery argument, right? If one person is concerned, they say, okay, look, I have a small private business. I don't want to allow people in who haven't been vaccinated. I think that's probably wrong, but that's one thing. But that's not what they're talking about. They are talking about high scale corporate level passports where you are not able to fly, get on a bus, get on a train, go into Target, go into Walmart, interact in any way unless you have taken this vaccine, which only came out a few months ago. And it is not um, it is not vaccine propaganda. It is not anti-vaxxer conspiracy theories to say that we don't know the full effect of this long term. Like I'm one of the most pro-vaccine conservatives I think you'll find. It is, And it's not skeptical to say like, look, I'm going to if I'm healthy and I'm young, and COVID-19, thank goodness, is not high risk for me, then I am going to wait until I have more information on the vaccine. And I think a lot of people, probably millions of people, agree with me on that. And they are being cudgeled into believing they are anti-science idiots simply because they are trying to make a an individual medical decision for themselves, which is one of their fundamental rights as an American. And I think we all need to stand up very, very proudly and loudly and say, like, no, I am not stupid for believing this. Like I am, I am not as an individual, a stupid person. I know I'm not a stupid person. I will not be told I'm anti-science by Joe Biden, who is possibly one of the dumbest people in American politics today. And I think we just need to be very, very clear that this is a line we cannot cross. We talk about the slippery slope. This is the bottom of the slope. Like, yes, it could get worse. We could be refused access to a number of things. That's exactly what they're talking about. I will not be able to get on a local bus unless I have a COVID passport. It's absolutely insane. And we should just say no. And But Americans have been saying yes an awful lot recently. So it's going to be quite a difficult move to suddenly start saying no to the government. Yeah. So hopefully by the time this airs, this list had, has grown significantly. Uh, please. I, <laughs> I really hope other governors get on board. But as of now, not just Ron DeSantis of Florida, but also Greg Abbott of Texas as well as well as the governors of Georgia, Nebraska, South Carolina, Missouri, and Tennessee um, have all come out and said they won't allow um, the federal government to implement vaccine passports in their states. I believe that uh, DeSantis in Florida is the only governor that has said uh, no one is allowed to implement these passports. Excuse me. But, um, you know, hey, man, that's seven states. That's seven Mm -hmm. Republican governors. I, I think there is some movement here. Obviously, we're recording this on Tuesday night. This is coming out uh, next Monday morning. So who knows, man? I, <laughs> maybe the audience is like, oh, man, Brady, like, you know, the world's great now. Like every Republican governor in the country said no way and Biden backed down. And heck, man, maybe just resign because he has Alzheimer's. A- who knows? A- anything could happen in the next, oh, shoot, six days. I mean, six days in the world of politics is like 
five years. I mean, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen by the time this episode airs? But uh, I, I do think there are there is some movement, either selfishly or morally speaking, among these Republican governors. Obviously, I think that um, if any Republican governor wants to run for president and be taken seriously, um, they have to come out hard, hard and mm-hmm. fast against these vaccine passports. But I mean, those aren't all like staunch conservatives, you know, uh, like your governor there in Tennessee. I can't remember his name. Uh, Bill, Bill something. Old Bill. Governor Bill. He's not, (laughs) he's not, you know, like a conservative superstar or anything like that. Um, But a lot of these Republican governors are um, coming out against this, issuing executive orders and stuff like that. So I don't know. Maybe there is some room for optimism here for for once, for the first time in a long time on this podcast. I'd like to think so. I think there's there are a lot of people who agree with us. I think, unfortunately, there are a lot of people in the middle who aren't aren't dedicated to either side and who kind of just want to get on with their lives and often pick the path, the path of least resistance. And I think we need to start making it clear that the path of least resistance, when you have a hungry government hanging over you, is not necessarily the best path for you. No. And so I think that's what we need to realize. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I mean... Yeah, it's eliminating the threat. It's cutting off the head of the snake. It's defunding these people. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right about that. Uh, one more thing um, I have to mention, since we you know, gave some optimism, uh, let's just <laughs> dial that right back down where it belongs. <laughs> like I said, anything could happen. We could be living in the New World Order by uh, Monday when this airs. But um, as of now, uh, Tuesday the 6th of uh, April, the year of our Lord, 2021, uh, Joe Biden is proposing, President Biden is proposing uh, to our allies in Europe a global minimum corporate tax rate. Um, this is, uh, we'll, we'll dive into what that means in just a second, but that is probably, that, that's one of the creepiest things I've ever heard from, a, from an American <laughs> politician. I mean, that is some really creepy communist nonsense. The idea is, obviously, Joe Biden wants more money. The Democrats want more money. They want to raise um, the tax rates on everybody, but it, it specifically the, excuse me, the corporate tax rate, they want to raise it from 21% up to 28%, um, which would just cripple the American economy. But um, they, they want to also cripple uh, every European country's economy and every developing or developed country around the world's economy by forcing them somehow. Um, I'm not actually sure how they would go about doing this, but they, they essentially want to, to coerce um, the rest of the developed world into raising their corporate tax rates as well so that American companies can't leave and go overseas when Biden wants to tax them into oblivion. So uh, does this ever happen? How would this even work? How creepy is this, Ian? I mean, this is like, my, my goodness. They, who, this is like a like weird, like Dinesh D'Souza, like Republican conspiracy theorists from like five years ago used to say stuff like this. And now it's happening. I think it's both good and bad. So let me start with the good part. The good part is this this is a reaction to the realization they are having that when you raise corporate tax rates, companies leave. Like Joe Biden might say that this doesn't happen. He said this the other day that it's just all a lie. It's not. Companies will leave. So in some ways, it shows they live in reality, knowing that this is going to be the impact. The problem is that their solution is not, oh, maybe increased tax rates are bad. It's that let's use the power of the American economy, at least until China overtakes us in only a few years time, to bully all of our supposed allies that Biden is boasting that we've returned to the world with into doing what we want, which is 
to force corporations to pay for their insane schemes that will effectively provide no incentive to actually succeed. And of course, not every country will agree to this, but there, there may be enough countries that go along with it because you have countries like Germany who also have quite a globalist intent when it comes to the world. But I can't imagine places like Singapore going along with it. And so you're going to see every major American corporation shut down, move to Singapore, move to maybe some places in Africa that are developing economies and offer a lot of incentives. There are so many places in the world they could move. And with it goes a lot of jobs. And that's what worries me most is that we can talk about the sort of the theory level part of this, both reasonably protected from the very short-term impact. The short-term impact hits Americans who rely on these jobs that Biden claims to care for. And yet he's basically rolling the dice with their livelihoods simply because he wants to pay for his latest scheme, even though most of the taxes won't collect enough money to pay for in the short term anyway. It's just all complete mathematical and economic insanity. But I think that's really the Democrats' tagline at this point. So I'm not sure we should really be surprised. It's just the idea that we could have a global agreement on anything, let alone an economic tax rate, when countries across the world are so much more corrupt than the US is, is laughable. But this is what you get. You know, this is moderate Joe Biden. Joe Biden's a moderate. He's just <laughs> down the middle. Nothing, nothing's going to happen. He's fine. Yeah, I mean, look, man, uh, you're originally from from the UK. If I were Boris Johnson, the UK just left the EU, man. <laughs> like, I, I doubt they want to get involved with another multinational bureaucracy that limits their freedoms. So if the rest of Europe, I don't think they will. I don't think this actually happens, but I've been wrong before, unfortunately. Uh, if this happens, the if if you guys in in England want want the the British Empire back, just say, hey, we're gonna lower our corporate <laughs> tax rate to five percent. Screw the rest of you guys, and there you go. Uh, the the sun never sets on on the British Empire ever again, as as they used to say. You know, like or or Poland, like Poland's a country that is increasingly right wing uh, to Im immigration issues that have that have hurt their country and the EU is, is has hurt their country economically. Uh, they could leave the EU and, and refuse to capitulate with with Joe Biden's demands and just say, no, we're going to eliminate our corporate tax rate. And there you go. Apple moved to Poland. <laughs> you mm -hmm. know what I mean? I, I think there are there's got to be some countries in Europe. They're going to say, absolutely not. Are you kidding me? Are, are you absolutely kidding me? So I, I don't know. I, I don't think this is going to happen. But the fact that the White House is floating these ideas is just it's it's disturbing. Like it's un-American. It's weird. It's creepy. And it, it's. It, when I started this podcast, what, four, four and a half years ago, it's not something I ever, maybe, I, I've had some conspiracy theorists on the podcast before, and maybe they've brought up something <laughs> like this, but it's not something, I, I couldn't imagine, if you, I just rewind a few years, I can't imagine a U.S. president proposing something like this, like it is just bizarre. What's even more bizarre is that everything they suggest is bizarre. It's not like this is the first thing the Biden administration have come out with that's a little loopy. And we kind of say, like, oh, well, it's just one of these silly theories that got thrown out. Everything they do, they throw out 10 crazy things, nine crazy things die, and then one gets accepted and it ends up costing us $3 trillion. <laughs> like that, that's what the next four years are going to be. It's, just, yeah. it's like a really, really bad fairground game where all the prizes are just bags of shit and eventually you've got to win one. It's just awful. I, I I can't believe what's going on, but elections have consequences. And I, I'm every time something like this happens, it reminds me that Donald Trump lost us the U.S. Senate, and I get a little bit upset. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people still don't want to 
accept that, but it's the it's the truth. I mean, I I don't see from all the data that I've poured through, I I can't. There's no other alternative to that reality. I, if if Donald Trump didn't give in to these conspiracy theories, if he didn't promote these conspiracy theories, if he didn't bring people like Sidney Powell and all these. I can't imagine these people are actually real lawyers. These people didn't actually pass the bar exam. <laughs> I mean, it's like how Jill Biden's a doctor. You know what I mean? It's like these, how Julius Irving is a doctor. I mean, if he didn't bring these people into the fold and do all this, you know, there wouldn't be a Senator uh, Raphael Warnock and uh, John Ossoff, and none of these things would be happening. Yeah, you're absolutely right. A lot of people don't want to hear that, but they need to hear it. And they need to stop making these mistakes in the future. Well... Can you imagine our reaction when Donald Trump wins the primary in 2023? Guys, look, I voted for Donald Trump. I voted for Donald Trump twice. Okay, I I supported a lot of the stuff that Donald Trump did. I think he was a a pretty darn good president, you know, all things considered. I really do. But my goodness, Ron DeSantis is down there doing work. Big Mm -hmm. D in Florida is doing some work right now. And my goodness, a lot of you people need to let go. Just let go. I know you like Donald Trump. I liked him too. It's okay though. It's it's fine. It's 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 fine. We should like winning more. That's the yeah. that's the strangest thing is the way people. A lot of people are still talking as if the conservatives won. Like you hear people all the time, Republicans win. Like conservatives win, and leftists are angry. It's like the left is winning. Like we're having our ass kicked right now. We need to realize we're losing this game. We're not winning it. Yeah, winning. I mean, I'm not even allowed to watch baseball. <laughs> or whatever the newest, who knows? Hey, this isn't coming out for a few days, so like, who knows what I'm not allowed to do? <laughs> Ice hockey is gonna go woke. Oh gosh, can you imagine? Just some, <laughs> just some dudes beating the shit out of each other with like, you know, just rainbow flag gloves and stuff like that. I'm like, my goodness. <laughs> Ian, my brother, thank you so much for doing this, man. We're 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 both. At least I am. I don't know if Ian is, but a few beers in. Uh, try, try to make this a little less news of the day ish but uh ian thanks for doing this man i'm sure we'll talk again soon where can everybody uh follow you online read your stuff keep in touch all that good stuff yeah thank you as always for having me it's always great to to talk with you so the best place to find me is just on social media i'm i-g-h-a-w-o-r-t-h so that's my website my twitter instagram facebook and if you head over to the daily wire i write for them uh, multiple times a day so you can find my my stuff there and then everything is linked so yeah please go Follow me on all those platforms, and thank you as always for having me. It's a pleasure speaking with you. Absolutely. Everybody follow Ian. He is great. Everybody subscribe to The Daily Wire. They are great. That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Wednesday. No gimmicks. (laughs) 